Ephesians chapter 5. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be associated with them. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God, the Father at all times, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God. A few weeks ago, I went to a conference in Tennessee called New Room. It's a gathering of Methodists across the country, Wesleyan-minded people who are praying for awakening. We're praying for revival. It's an incredible experience every time I go to New Room, and I highly recommend every person called Methodist attend it, either online or in person. But as we went to New Room and I stayed at a motel, we arranged our lodgings, and we found a place called Sleep Inn in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The Sleep Inn was located under the interstate surrounded by dumpsters, $90 a night. We specifically requested a no-smoking room, but somehow the hallway smelled like an ashtray, and that was fine, it was fine. It was more than enough than I needed for sleeping and then going to the conference. And as these places tend to have, they had a continental breakfast, you know, a little kitchenette near the lobby. If you would expect to see dehydrated eggs, there was. You would expect to see hard little biscuits in a crock pot. There was. Ready-made gravy, juice, a well-used waffle iron. It was all there. A sad little continental breakfast in the middle of Tennessee under an overpass, $90 a night. But then there was Linda. And the moment I saw Linda, the sleep-in employee in charge of that little continental breakfast, I knew she was a spirit-filled Christian from the second I saw her. As she zipped around that little place, refilled my coffee. I've never had anybody refill my coffee in a continental breakfast. Cleaning, laughing, smiling, talking. She turned that little continental breakfast into her home, into her kitchen, and I felt welcome. A place that many would see as sad and hopeless and a weak little part-time job, Linda looked around at that job that she had and she made a choice. What will I do with my time? What will I do with my presence that I have in this little place? No one will notice it. 
out-of-the-place sleep-in motel. But God, who sees in secret, sees it all. He saw how she chose to use her time, to leverage her time, her presence. I was blessed by it. I noticed. Other people noticed. It's an important thing what we do with our time, what we do with our presence, to devote it to God or to not. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul exhorts his audience to do a similar thing. What will you do with your time? The days are evil. Some things never change. But what will you do with what you have? Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's saying, yeah, the days are evil, but that doesn't mean we shrink away in anxiety and fear, but we leverage that time to bloom where you're planted, to look around and make a choice. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 reminds us there's a time for everything under heaven. What will we do with our time? Will we create something new for the kingdom of God like Linda did? Or will we bury our talent in the sand and wait for someone else to take care of it? We're in a sermon series called Connections. Connecting and changing lives forever. How will we leverage what we have? It's not about how much you have or how little you have. It's about what you do with what you have for God. Time is a gift. Time is an investment. Time is also fleeting, passing away. Time indeed, though, is a gift. One of the beautiful things about the Bible is that it reminds us that every day we wake up, it's not a burden, but that our time can be redeemed when we give it to God. We don't have to wake up and see the next day as just something to overcome. Yes, time is exhaustible. One day our time on earth will end. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 31, my times are in your hands. Each time, each day we have is a gift. That's why it's called the present. There's your cheesy joke for the morning. But time is not something we can see, we can taste, we can touch, and yet we can feel it's time, it's moving on. Scientists call it the arrow of time because it heads on forever in the future, never stopping. Now, you might be thinking, how in the world is time a gift? I was born into time. I didn't have a choice in the matter. Yes, that's true. Here you are, and here I am, born into time. When you hear that time is a gift, it's really a question of stewardship. If you truly believe that you are here because of God, and that your day you have today is because of God, it's a question of stewardship, because if time doesn't belong to you, but it's a gift of God, then how will you use what you've been given? How am I using it? The psalmist is saying, my times are in your hands. He's saying, yes, God. It's a gift from you. I acknowledge that. And so because it's a gift from you, help me to use it wisely and to connect people to you with what I've got. John Wesley would preach a lot of sermons about time and, and, and not being late. 
He was very much about a stickler about time. He preached a whole sermon about not sleeping too much. I'll spare you that sermon this morning. But about not wasting time and being slothful, as he would say. Methodists, we have a long history of being serious about not wasting time because time's a gift. Because God gives it to us each day that we have. Time is also an investment. Psalm 90, 12, teach us to number our days so that we may grow a heart of wisdom. When I was a kid, my parents would wake me up for school and they would say the old cliche, the early bird gets the worm. And I would think, oh, that's some incentive. But the point remains, don't waste the day. Time to get up. Time is an investment, how you spend it. One of my favorite verses from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Time is an investment, the gift of today. We should be good stewards and think through, but we'll also see that today is all we have. As I've become a father, many of you have children, grandchildren. I've worked with teenagers over the years in youth ministry. And I've learned one big lesson is that really people spell the word L-O-V-E. They spell it this way, T-I-M-E. We spend time with what's important to us, don't we? We invest our time in what matters to us. We do what's important to us. How we invest our time, it shows our priorities. But conversely, when we choose to withhold that time, that love, it can cause deep wounds. When we don't spend time with things we care about, people we care about, it causes a lot of harm, doesn't it? The hit song from 1974 by Harry Chapin, The Cat's in the Cradle. Many of us know that song. It's a very haunting song. And it's a story of a father and a son, and then the father puts off the son. Dad, are we going to play? Well, we'll get together soon. And then one day, the son turns into the father and then neglects spending time with his dad near the end of his life. The cat's in the cradle on the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When are you coming home, dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. I know we'll have a good time then. Don't put it off. Don't put off time to things that matter the most, investing that time. Just yesterday, I was physically tired at the end of the day. I was. I coached my son's baseball game. I did yard work. It was a long, wonderful day, but I was tired. At the end of my day, my son said, Dad, will you go outside and play catch with me? Not to make myself look good, but I said yes, because I'll never get that moment back. And I wanted to make it count. Time. It's an investment. Many people spend their time today watching Netflix. Netflix is the largest streaming service in the world. Do you know what the greatest competitor to Netflix is? It's not another streaming service. It's not another platform. It's sleep. Their greatest competitor is people falling asleep while they're binging whatever, and they fall asleep in the middle of it. That's their biggest problem. Now, I enjoy watching TV as the next person. I watched the Braves game last night. It was a wonderful victory. It's a good time to rest and relax, but some things nowadays are getting out of hand. 
I researched this this week. The average American spends eight hours a day on a screen. That's just the average. Eight hours. That's more than people sleep at night. The average American touches their phone 2,617 times in one day. As a generation, we're wasting time. We're wasting our time on things that ultimately don't matter. So how we choose to spend our time, invest our time, it's a reflection of our discipleship, isn't it? It's a reflection of our, who we are as Christians. I mean, what would happen if we spent just an hour a day, not on a screen, but praying or serving others? How would that change our lives? How would it change someone else's life? What if we just touched our Bible 500 times a day? How would that change us? How would that change the world around us? I presided over funerals. I've been with people on their deathbeds. Some people get the opportunity to reflect on their lives. Some people don't. I hope one day, if I get to do that, I'll reflect back on my life, and I will look back on how I spent my time, and I will be at peace with that, in service to God, giving it to God. Because when you serve and invest your time with God, it's never wasted. It's never wasted. So how do we put that into action? For one, you can simply pray about it. God, help me. Give me wisdom on how I spend my time. Show me. Give me a better idea of what that looks like for my life. Secondly, you could ask, maybe there's some things in my schedule that they're probably good things, but maybe they need to go. But to invest your time in God, and we give our time and love to the world around us. Mother Teresa said, we cannot all do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. Unnoticed, out of the world's eyes, God sees it. God's pleased with it. When we do small things with our time for his glory. Jesus understood the principle of investing time. He certainly didn't have an eye watch. He didn't have a watch. He didn't have a phone. Probably didn't have a, sandi- a sundial on his wrist. But when he was talking to someone, he wouldn't have been checking it, I'm certain. He would have been looking at the person, investing in that person in that moment, seeing them as a child of God. My last church I was at, I was in charge of starting a new contemporary service at the church. I was a younger man. I was full of caffeine and, and rushing around and having to do all these things and set up this service, a lot of work. One Sunday... I was so distracted and busy, I was talking to someone, and in the middle of our conversation, I walked away. I didn't even know I did it. I was that busy. I didn't invest that moment with this person. And she told me later, she said, do you realize you walked away from me when I was trying to talk to you? But how we choose to invest our time, invest in people and in God and not just in activity. So time's a gift, time's an investment, time is also fleeting. We know that time is finite. Back in the 1980s, when I was a little boy, my mother would stay home, and my father would be at work. And every day, we watched the same two television shows. I bet you might could guess what they were. Price is Right, Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives is not on the air anymore, but it had that iconic image, right, of the hourglass. And I remember thinking, what does that have to do with the soap opera? But the, I didn't get the metaphor at the time. Just that image of time dripping away, 
bit by bit, never to be recovered. As we get older, we certainly understand this idea of time being fleeting. Even the most wealthy people I know know that time is the most precious thing they have, more than money. You and I have encountered the abrupt experience of death. Someone you loved and cared about is not there the next day. It's, it never ceases to be jarring and strange. It's strange to us because we're not built for that. We're meant to be people of life, and we will be people of life because of the resurrection of Jesus. But it still never ceases to be abrupt and odd. We know that it's not how it should be, but because of God, he can make all things new. But even though it's a jarring experience, it does provide context for life, that our lives do have a beginning and an end. It makes us ask ourselves, all the buying, the selling, the rushing, the to and the fro, time ticking away, what's the point of it all? The author of Ecclesiastes would arrive to that same conclusion when he would write, there's nothing new under the sun. All is vanity. A little bit cynical, but I understand the sentiment. We know that time is finite, but here's the point. It shouldn't provoke anxiety and fear in our lives. The Bible presents time as an opportunity, as an opportunity for today. As James says in uh, 4.14, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog, here a little while, and then it's gone. Not to scare us, but to see it as the reality of what it means to be here on earth. And to make us ask ourselves, what will we do with what we have? Think back to Linda at Sleep In, in the little hotel, motel, under the overpass, the dehydrated eggs, hard little biscuits in a crock pot. Linda looked around and she made a choice. She made a choice of what to do with her time and people were blessed. You and I can look around and make a choice. What will we do with what we have? When I was in college, I had a friend in UNC Asheville in 2001. She was snowboarding and she had an accident and she broke her back young woman, college senior like me. Long story short, she recovered, thankfully, but it's a very serious injury. She's on morphine. So we go to visit her in the hospital and we walk her, go up to that side of the, that floor that's in the spinal area. And we go up to her room to pray with her, to visit her, her mother's there with her. Down the hall, there's two police officers outside of a hospital room. And I asked Caroline, why are there cops here? And she said, oh, the Reverend Billy Graham is a patient here. He's having a procedure done right at this same time. And I said, I love Billy Graham. I'm going to go meet him. And my youthful not being naive, I took one step toward the police officers, and they said, no, no, no. Rethink that. So I went back to Caroline's room. And she said, well, he'll probably come in here. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, he's been in here many times to pray with me. And I said, really? No wonder you're feeling better. Billy Graham prayed for you. 
She said, well, not just me. He's walked around to every single hospital room on this floor and visited every single person and prayed with all those people. Billy Graham, the most famous preacher that ever lived, was rated the 50 most esteemed people in the world for like 50 years in a row. And here he is, sick and old. What does he do? No cameras, no attention. He leveraged his time, and he went to every single one of those people, people he didn't even know. And they were blessed by how he chose to use his time. My friends, the great wonder of the goodness of God is that he invites us to be co-laborers in his kingdom. No matter who we are, he invites us to serve and to give. And when we do that with an open hand, he can use us to change the world and to work miracles in people's lives. Look at the apostles. Look at people throughout church history. They're people just like us. But they chose to give God what they had. And God blessed them and used them. Their presence, their time, their gifts, their resources. Let's spend a moment and pray and ask God to bring to our mind anything that we need in our time to give to him. Maybe as I've been speaking, something has come to your mind that you felt convicted about. It could be the work of the Holy Spirit saying to you, rethink that. Use, I want to use you in this way. So let's pray right now. We thank you, O oh God, for the time that we have. We thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you, God, that you forgive us in ways that we haven't been good with our time. Help us to see all that we have as coming from you. And may we leverage all that we have for your glory and to bless the world around us. Sanctify our time, O God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.